way into our transformation, one that we never expected. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping those we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. We invite you to join today's conversation and help us build community. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. And again, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Dan. And um, one of the things that I love about coming in to the studio and sharing this conversation uh, with Nancy and our guests is being exposed to new artists and sharing their work. Each week, I try to weave the music thematically into our topic. And this week, our guest Amy selected a group that I hadn't been exposed to before. Take a listen to... Afterworld by the group Tiger Army. Well, that was Tiger Army and Afterworld. And I reached out to our guest this morning from one of the websites that I follow, and Amy responded and agreed to talk about today's sensitive topic. And if you are triggered by the information that we're sharing today, 
please be aware that 988 has been designated as a new three-digit dialing code that will route callers to the National Suicide and Crisis Prevention Lifeline. This number is now active across the USA, and trained counselors will answer and provide support and connect you to the resources if necessary. Today's topic is stillbirth and loss in pregnancy, and our guest is Amy Capanjola. Amy is a licensed clinical social worker from the state of New Jersey. She has professional experience helping others on their personal grief journeys. She's volunteered for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, CASA, the court-appointed special advocates, helping children within the foster care system. Imagine, a center for coping with loss, and local nursing homes. She has also worked in hospital, school, and residential settings, and is currently working in a private practice as a therapist. In 2021, she experienced the loss of her first daughter, Mina Liu, through stillbirth. She is happily married and has a daughter, Cece, who is eight months old. Welcome, Amy. Dan, Nancy, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate this opportunity. You're so welcome. Well, part of the reason that we do this is that having the difficult conversations is so necessary today in society. And stillbirth is one of those subjects that don't get mentioned. Um, You know, it's a private, personal experience. But to share that with our audience and to have that conversation, I feel, we feel, is is just such an important um, topic. And we've covered several of these difficult topics um, on our show, and we really welcome and thank you for the opportunity to share your story. Yes, yes. So let's start out by, with some definitions. So is stillbirth the same as a miscarriage, and what, what are the differences? Sure. Yeah. So when basically when, you know, a fetus or a baby dies in the womb after 20 weeks of pregnancy, that would be considered stillbirth, whereas miscarriage would be prior to that first 20 weeks. Uh, How, you know, miscarriage is more common than stillbirth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, stillbirth, it's also classified within different categories of early term or, you know, late or term. So an early stillbirth would be occurring somewhere between 20 and 27 weeks of completed pregnancy, which is what I experienced, me and my husband. And a late stillbirth would occur somewhere between 28, 30 weeks of completed pregnancy. And then there's late stillbirth, which would be between 37, 40 weeks or after. So, you know, there are different, you know, um, time frames that we're talking about. Um, and so that that is just to be clear that, you know, it is it is different than mm-hmm. than a miscarriage. Yeah. That being said, it's it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it can be compared. I don't really think that someone should compare and say, oh, this is harder because of this. I think for everybody, the experience is going to be very different. Um, and it shouldn't be something that's necessarily compared. But in our society, of course, you know, people do compare, right? Um, right. My, my loss is worse than yours, right? I mean, Exactly. I think that's, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. and that, and that, that happens. We always like to say that there is no comparison between losses, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, uh, because right. your loss is your loss, and we each experience them in different ways. And, and every experience is unique. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and, I would and, agree and, with that. And so comparison is not um, not helpful, and it's, it's, it's not even – doesn't even work. I, I think it goes to one of those things of what not to say or what not to do when someone is grieving, uh, sharing your experience that was worse or saying, comparing it to any other loss is, in my opinion, this is totally my opinion, is, is to try to help the person who's saying that feel more comfortable. And I understand yeah. where it's coming from, yet it's not helpful. Yeah, I would I would agree with that yeah, for sure. And, and, and the uncomfortable feeling <clears throat> is something that we try to um, here, at least on this show, is to try to dispel some of that. Well, it's about learning how to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, this this stuff never gets more comfortable. 
um, <clears throat> grief and loss is is a difficult topic, and when it, it it's such a personal experience, it's it's never it never gets easier. It never gets more comfortable, or it doesn't let you off the hook. <laughs> it doesn't mean anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about the commonality, but how, how common is stillbirth? Do you have statistics or how, um, how do you want to speak to that? Yeah, yeah. So from my understanding, you know, of course, being someone who's experienced this, I did my research, right? Why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. How how common is this, right? So so from the information that I gathered, it, it seems to be that about one in every 160 people this happens to and and that's really that's that's a pretty high number considering Mm -hmm. um you know and so it can happen to anyone really you know certainly any family all races ethnicities income levels uh, women of all ages however stillbirth is more common among certain groups of Mm -hmm. people yeah. Including women who are 35 age, you know, age 35 or older, such as, you know, me and also people of low socioeconomic status, those who smoke cigarettes during pregnancy, people who are of black race. Right. Certain medical conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, someone who may have had triplets or quadruplets would be at higher risk. And also, if you've had previous pregnancy loss, it, it may put you at a higher risk for it happening again mm-hmm. in the future. Now, just because it's a risk factor doesn't mean it's going to happen. So I just want to be clear to people out there listening that, you know, if you fall into one of these risk factors, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen to you. But just to be aware that it does increase your risk. Mm-hmm. And that- so, you know, talking to your medical prof- professionals and, you know, making sure that you're monitored and you know, taken care of during that time is, is certainly of importance. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's the woman out there who says, I don't fall into any of those risk categories, and yet it yeah. happened to me. So absolutely, that's also, that also happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just, you know, but certainly, again, you know, just to be aware, right? Yeah, it's always ab- good to be aware of right. the risk factors. It's good to be aware of the risk factors, because then you can communicate them to your healthcare professional and and get the mm-hmm. kind of healthcare that 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 you need when you are trying to mitigate the risk. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But it occurs to me that if it's a first pregnancy, you might not know or be aware of mm. your risk. And yeah. are there I guess gen- general guidelines you have to take care of yourself during your pregnancy, but that this is something that can happen mm-hmm. for any reason. And yeah. um, medically, I don't know that there's any one cause that is pointed to or um, condition. I, it sounds mm-hmm. like that uh, this is something that is uh, really almost considered quite random to, to happen yeah, to that fre- with that frequency. That's a, really a startling statistic. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah, and that's why we're having this conversation to spread the word to l- let our listeners know that this is out there. Yeah, it's, to educate and inform. Yeah, educate and inform. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. how do hospitals and medical professionals help families with support? And what was your experience? And you know, can you fill us in a little bit about what your story was, if if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So I I think it's going to come down to every different, you know, medical facility states, right. And certain policies, right. Within a hospital or medical setting. So staff not having education on how to care for unique patients that are going through this, right. Families that are going through this and inconsistency of care can have adverse effects, on outcomes, right? So, so it is important that staffs and doctors and nurses are trained in how to help families and support them during this difficult time. So there are programs out there that actually provide training to different agencies and hospitals to make sure that they, you know, know how to help these families and support them. Um, you know, certain things to consider, right? Um, let's say someone 
is in a doctor's office and they find out they've had a loss, right? Just being able to like what what to say, right? What to say, not what not to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know we can talk a little bit more about that later, but, you know, also providing maybe a keepsake, right? Something that can be like, hey, we, we recognize that you had a loss and you may not be able to go home with a baby at the end of this experience, but we're going to give you something to to just know that, you know, we're thinking of you. Right. Whether that be a teddy bear or a blanket, something right. Acknowledging the loss by doing so. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Also, also honoring the body. Right. So so even though this this is I mean, it's still a person's baby. Right. Um, so making sure that, you know, it, we're we're aware of like, you know, not putting it in a, a, a container or a bag. That's, you know, I mean, it, it, it's simple stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. That these trainings can, can be helpful for wrapping a baby in a blanket, right? Clothes, hats, right? Mm -hmm. There are agencies that volunteer to knit like little outfits and hats for babies and for families that have gone through this experience. And I think that that's just so important, right? To be able to recognize that this was a life, you know, Mm -hmm. this was someone's baby. Sure. Um, Honoring the loss is, is such an important part of the first steps toward healing if healing is even possible at, at that early stage. and Well, it also occurs to me that during prenatal care, that may be a question to ask your doctor. Not that you want to even consider it, but asking them if their staff has training, um, if the unconscionable were to happen, if um, there was some kind of loss, and there's a wide spectrum there. Mm-hmm. How would they handle it? How would do you? Does your staff have training in helping the mother and the father <clears throat> navigate? <clears throat> excuse me. These early moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely, and you know other other factors to consider. Just terminology precautions, right? So, you know, instead of using the term fetal demise, which can be very harsh right mm-hmm. yeah stillbirth can be harsh too but it's not as harsh maybe because the word fetus isn't in it i don't know but um you know just certain terminology right and for some women the outcome may be delivery right and also maybe abortion and not abortion in the sense we think of right where you know the baby is still alive but right. it's still that term and that's hard to hear when you wanted a baby and you tried really hard to have a baby and that is the only outcome that you'll have right and and these terminologies right i mean they can't necessarily easily change that because that's a you know coding medical coding right Right. but but things like that that should be considered right policy changes Right, because yeah. it's really hard to hear that, right? When you're a family that's gone through this loss and then you get a, a medical bill that says something that's like, whoa, like I don't need to see that right now. You exactly. know, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. you're grieving. And um, so certain things like that, that should be considered certainly um, when it comes to training and protocol, right? Um, also things that, you know, maybe doctors offices OBGYNs offices can have like maybe a special flag in their chart just so that they're aware right if somebody comes in for a follow-up visit maybe put them in a room that doesn't have pictures of babies or posters right because that's just like a a triggering situation right and Dan I know you asked me you know about my personal experience and well it was it was definitely challenging right I mean I went in for a regular office visit for a checkup didn't think anything was wrong and there was no heartbeat right no heartbeat on the doppler and um you know i think my doctor i could tell he was nervous flustered fumbled a few times went got multiple dopplers just to try and see if he could Mm -hmm. make it you know make the outcome change right i think he was just kind of like flustered in the moment and um you know the nurses were very supportive everybody i had encounters with was very supportive Mm -hmm. but i again i i you know i didn't get any like little teddy bear or acknowledgement like that it was just kind of like okay this is what needs to happen and you know it was very quick and i was in a fluster and couldn't really think clearly and it was the hardest day of my life having to you know get that information Mm -hmm. and i actually saw my daughter's lifeless 
body on the on the screen and I'm you know it was obviously traumatic for me and mm -hmm. um sure something that I wish I could forget but I I yeah, can't right you'll, you'll um, never forget no right yeah and and so just you know being aware of that right and then um having to go back into that room for a follow-up how hard was that mm -hmm. you know that was very hard it was yeah. very hard so yeah. um but the doctors that I worked with were we're all very, very nice, very supportive, the nurses, you know, and um, yeah, so I, but I, again, I think training in these facilities and hospitals is very important. Now I know I did a little research and I know in, in your state that, you know, um, there are hospitals that have been trained in this for sure that I know of. So, so that's nice. I believe Mayo Clinic is one of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, but in New Jersey, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, um, what the training level is here where I'm from. Sure, and but, yeah. and that's you know I think one of the advantages of having conversations like this is to just elevate the conversation to um, make people aware that there are questions mm -hmm. that they can ask their their doctors that might invite the doctor then or the their staff to to get that additional training and I, I appreciate that because that would be something that is relatively easy and uh, for for them to take those necessary steps and I imagine that and I know relating uh, your story has got to be difficult and again thank you for that I can imagine what that doctor felt as he f was flustering as you called yeah. it um, mm -hmm. had to be a very difficult moment for him as well how how sure. would he tell his patient you know that uh, mm -hmm. there there's this unimaginable loss and having to deliver that news. Oh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And and because I'm a therapist, right, that's my profession. I, I, of course, was in a difficult way, but I actually, I thought, well, I wonder how this guy's doing now after this, you know? <laughs> I wonder how, <laughs> yeah. how all of these people do this, you know, when something like this happens, right? Because this is, this is trauma, you know, as a, as a, you know, medical professional myself i mean you know we have vicarious trauma as well and so sure. you know it's, it's certainly something that you know i thought of you know of course it wasn't the first thing i thought of but it was you know just yeah it happens right and right. and how how would it happen to me if i had to work with a client in the future that you know went through this experience as well right so that sure. was something to consider as well yeah and um it's each time you wonder you you know that doctors experience it probably experience it more than once in their practice because of the statistic sure. you shared so how does um like you said how do they how do they meet that how do they get through it and do they learn from one experience to the next we would hope that they would yeah um, definitely and yet that, that's not something that you go back and and ask how are you doing now so right um but it's a it's it's a great question to consider and i think uh, your compassion uh to th even consider their viewpoint yeah yes you're a therapist but there is something about the compassionate uh expression of that just really touches me as well mm -hmm. i think too that yeah, and I'm thinking about you know, here I am almost seventy, <laughs> um, and um, in you know my childhood, this was something that never would have been discussed uh, openly or especially on the radio. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and yet uh, television programs and you know some of the medical shows deal with traumatic experiences that people. Um, have and it is a way for people to consider but I don't think in a television show it's uh, you take on the ownership that you do when we talk like this uh, in a personal uh, conversation about a very difficult subject yeah because a television show is scripted and things are resolved and if Fifty hour, minutes, right? Whatever, <laughs> and and our lives aren't like that. So, what was your experience with with your family? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, 
you know, that day when that happened, I was, I happened to be by myself in the doctor's office and my husband, unfortunately, had, he had a work meeting or event that he was at, which was a couple hours away. So I, mm. I went, you know, everything was good. So I was like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, I'll go, you know, it's just a checkup. And, you know, that had happened. And I just remember this like wall going up and I just was like, okay, I have to, I have to focus here. I have to call my husband. And I remember the nurse helping me do that because I couldn't even, I couldn't, I was so upset. I couldn't even open my phone and dial his number, you know? So she helped me with that. And then after that, I, um, you know, I called my mom and my, my, my grandma was with her. And so they, they met me at the doctor's office and that was amazing to have them there and help me because my husband was on his way back. You know, as I said, it was a little bit of a distance to get there. So that was hard. Um, but my family was extremely supportive. Uh, you know, my friends were very supportive. My best friend was very supportive. She was, you know, when I had to go to the hospital, she was in the parking lot with my mom. She was there, even though I couldn't see her, I knew she was there with my mom, just waiting to make sure I was okay. And, you know, my husband was with me and, you know, everybody in my family was very supportive. And my, my, my job was very supportive. My boss, my colleagues, everybody was extremely supportive because they know that, you know, they knew I was, I was pregnant. I was about five and a half months pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was it was definitely a difficult loss, but I had so much support, and um, it was it was really hard too because nowadays you know it's it's a, it's a thing where you make an announcement on social media, and we had waited. Um, we actually we we waited and we um, disclosed to our friends and family to everyone uh, in December of 2021. We went to see Santa Claus and we took the sonogram with us and mm. we took a picture with Santa Claus. That was our announcement. And mm -hmm. we had just posted it that week to let everyone know that we were expecting Mina Lou mm. and we were so excited. And literally days later, this happened and it was devastating. And I was like, well, yeah. I'm going to have to tell everyone now. Right. I felt this like mm -hmm. obligation to go back and say, Hey, this happened, you know? And I, I did. And it was hard, but so many people wrote me and called me and reached out and said, Hey, you know, something similar happened to me. And I had no idea, no idea. Yeah. So many people don't share stuff yeah. like this. Yeah. I was thinking that when you were sharing your story that, that, that you probably helped people who, who hadn't been able to um, share that it happened to them too. And it's it's when we share these losses that we're able to, I, I think, at least for me, I gain the capacity to be able to meet the feeling a little bit with more ease. I don't want to say easier, with, with more ease than if I had, had continued to isolate myself. Yeah, definitely. Well, I yeah, think, so I... Oh, go mm -hmm. ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Dan. Well, I think, you know, um, that the uh, compassion that uh, I guess expands when you have experienced um, a loss like that and when you're willing to share your story with someone else um, or, or hear their story in a, in a compassionate mind frame. It's, it's like the alchemy happens. You don't know, you don't, I didn't understand it. Yet when I was able to share my feelings, I had that greater capacity to feel my feelings. And, and it's not understandable. We, we, we don't know why. I, don't, I didn't know why it happened. Yet that was my experience. Well, I think we, we've called it um, a, a breaking open of your heart to mm -hmm. a greater capacity to, to <laughs> hold the pain and, and be compassionate for someone else. That yeah. was my point. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what's helpful to say and what's not helpful. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, certainly just the, the general, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I mean, that, that's, that can be helpful. And I, I think too, you know, to consider that everyone is different, right? Mm -hmm. What may be helpful for one person may not be helpful for another, right? So if somebody has faith, and they're religious, you know, it may be helpful to say, you know, they're, they're in heaven, you know, they're in a better place, something like that. Right. 
but for somebody else, that may be a horrible thing to say and not helpful mm-hmm. at all. Right. right. So, right. so really, we, you know, that needs to be considered. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, don't avoid asking. Right. I, I always I, I love when people ask me questions about Mina and, you know, I get to talk about her and say her name, you know, so so don't avoid it. Right. If there's a loss, please right. acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't be scared to to mention it or bring it up um, and be sincere. Right. Being sincere can be helpful. And, mm-hmm. you know, try not to compare. Right. Because, you know, even if somebody's had a loss or similar loss, I mean, it may be a different circumstance. Right. And, and so, you know, trying not to compare um, a circumstance, you know, it, it may not be helpful. Right. Okay. Um, right. Right. And then minimizing, you know, oh, well, you know, you weren't that far along, you know, it, it, you know, that's really not helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. and in my experience, I experienced all of these things, right? People telling me, you know, oh, well, right. you know, it wasn't meant to be, you know, it, it, you know, it'll happen again. Well, what if it didn't, right? What if, what it, if didn't? it didn't? What if I didn't get pregnant again? What if yeah. I didn't, you know, so, you know, not minimizing it and not, making it seem like, you know, my daughter didn't matter because to me, she did to my husband, she did to my family. She did, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, same things like at at least you can have other children. You're young. Right. That again, not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, and, and also, you know, I still, I hear comments all the time and I, you know, are you going to have another, are you going to have another? Well, I went through a very traumatic experience, my husband and I, so, Mm it's not as easy for me to say, oh, yeah, maybe I'll have another. I, I would love to, but that's not something that, you know, everyone, you know, can easily do. So right. Exactly. And are you, um, I, I want to, this question isn't one that we talked about in, in advance, but I'm wondering how the medical staff, um, I'm sure your family and friends were supportive to your husband, but oftentimes father isn't considered that um i I know it's this way in miscarriage uh they aren't considered when um there's a loss like this and and so i'm wondering what your experience or what what your what your husband's experience with that was so we were very fortunate his his job was very supportive of him and he was able to get time off he was able to leave that day and and he was home with me you know for a couple weeks afterwards and they were extremely supportive. They sent us, you know, um, a gi- you know, like just like a, a gift acknowledging, hey, you've had this loss, right? So, I mean, they were extremely supportive and same with my job. You know, I think, you know, yeah, I am in the, the mental health profession, but he's not. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it was just so wonderful that we had so much support. And I, I didn't mention the fact that we, you know, Brad and I, my husband, Brad, we were engaged and we had you know, set our wedding up and we were so excited to get married in, you know, 2021. And then we found out, you know, early that summer that we were expecting and we were so excited. And then we found out my due date was our wedding date. And we were like, oh my gosh, we have to change the date. We're like, wow, this must be our lucky day, right? Mm -hmm. This must be our lucky day that, you know, it was going to be our wedding date. And now it's going to be when our baby's born. And you know, we decided, hey, let's change our wedding. Let's get married sooner, right? So we we picked a nice time in December of 2021 that we wanted to get married instead, and we changed everything. And so we were really excited. And my husband and I, we love classic horror movies. And so we decided that we wanted to, you know, name our daughter Mina Lou. We mean, actually, her name is Mina Lugosi as like <laughs> Bela Lugosi mm-hmm. and that that name had much different meaning than just that because I had a great great aunt Lou whom I was very close to and I also had a nana who was from Hungary who sounded like Dracula and so I always mm-hmm. thought I would I told her I was like grandma you sound like Dracula you know so so to us the the name had a lot of meaning and so mm-hmm. that was her name and um when we got married, we asked Vincent Price's daughter, Victoria Price, to marry us. And so Mm. she was very supportive while we had our loss as well, Mm. um, counseling us, you know, through that process and getting ready to get married. And so we were very fortunate. And 
So when we had our loss, it was early December. That's when we found out and our wedding was mid-December. And so we had to make a choice. Do we continue forward or do we postpone it again? And we decided that what we needed the most was to be with our friends and family and have that support because we had just been through the hardest thing in life that we had ever experienced. And so we ended up going through with, you know, the wedding, but sadly, two days prior to our wedding, we buried our daughter. Um, and, and, and that was very hard because we buried her on a Friday. We got married on a Sunday Hmm. and we made sure that in our wedding, we had a moment of silence. It was, it was a moment to honor her. We played some songs and, you know, to honor her as well. And, we wanted to have it be happy, but also like recognize the fact that, you know, yes, we just went through this and we need our family. We need our friends to help us through this. Um, and so it was a beautiful ceremony and we had the support of everyone. Our family was all there and, you know, we we got through it. We did. It was a dark time, but the, the light shone on us, you know, as well. So I understand a little bit better now why you pick that song and uh, yeah. tell us a little bit more about uh, how that song was influenced or you know you selected it because that sounds uh, like there's a story there yeah oh I I mean I, I love Tiger Army they're they're a great band and I followed them for years and that that's just a wonderful song and if you really you know it, it may sound fast and loud but if you really look at the lyrics it's it's a beautiful song and talking about you know love and you know, how it'll carry on into the afterworld. And so I, I do I do love that song a lot. It means a lot to me. And I remember listening to it a lot after, you know, my loss. And um, it was helpful. You know, music, music can get you through. Music, movies. We also watched a lot of Vincent Price movies after it, you know, together just to kind of help ourselves, you know, through that dark time. Um, my husband is a musician. And so for him, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, his coping was, you know, playing guitar and, you know, music. So it, it was very helpful for both of us. Yeah, there's yeah. something that uh, can be said about uh, music uh, and music therapy. You're, you're so right about that. I have my own feelings about uh, how that helped us through our loss. Yeah, and yeah. thank you for sharing that that beautiful story because... It really speaks to the uniqueness of everybody's grief journey and how we all find our own way through. And whatever works for you, whatever connects you to the essence of who you are, is the right way for you. And someone say that that's always going to be a difficult milestone, that the connection of burying your daughter and your wedding, and mm-hmm. yet it's always going to be difficult no matter when it is. So why not have pain and joy at the same time? Because we can hold them both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, we just, we just feel so fortunate that, you know, we are parents now, we have a beautiful Mm -hmm. daughter. And, you know, I think when you have a loss, like we had, Mm -hmm. you have a loss of, hopes and dreams we Mm -hmm. often look at our daughter and make comments about wouldn't it be funny if Mina was here too and they were playing together and you know just it's a loss of that right Right. not 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 having that future right never never getting to go on trips family trips with her and never you know getting to celebrate holidays with her right but again we feel so fortunate Mm -hmm. to have our daughter Cece now and you know, we love her so much and, you know, our family loves her so much and she's just so special. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it is a loss of a lot, right? Just things mm-hmm. that we'll never have as well. Right, right. It's, it's the secondary losses that you don't even consider when you're in the throes of um, early grief. And, and then it's, and then you realize, oh, I'm never going to celebrate her birthday or I'm never going to us when whenever she didn't graduate from high school although we were there and they honored yeah. her but and that was tough but mm-hmm. um it, it was right it was the right thing for us to do and um so yeah that those secondary losses loss of dreams um all of that is are, are things that kind of <laughs> hit us in the pit of the stomach 
and and we didn't expect them and those go on for the rest of our lives yes and yet you're right you have a wonderful blessing of Stacy and I'm wondering how hard was that pregnancy or the decision to to um, become pregnant again and then how did you feel throughout the pregnancy yeah, that's a great question. It was it was very challenging, very yeah. challenging. And and I did everything that I could to make sure that things were as perfect as they could be, right? Down to eating the healthiest foods, to you know, exercising. Not that I didn't do that the first time around. I absolutely did, right? But I wouldn't dye my hair, I wouldn't wear makeup, I wouldn't use certain products, right? I was mm-hmm. very yeah. much paranoid that anything because I didn't know I I never found out what happened with Mina Mm -hmm. I I, there was never an answer as to why it happened other than the fact that I was you know 39 years old when I got pregnant Mm -hmm. right but I had no other besides that I had no other answer and so Mm -hmm. I did everything I could to make sure that within my control she was going to be okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so that was very difficult and then the doctors had me have ultrasounds once a month Mm -hmm. instead of the normal trajectory of, you know, every so often, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had an ultrasound every month. And even though that sounds like a lot in between, it seemed like not long enough, you know, right. or, or too long, should I say, right? Yeah. I mean, waiting, is my baby alive? Is her heart still beating, right? right. I, I I would often get very anxious and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was very difficult, you know, and then going back into the same doctor's office time and time again, yeah. you know? Yeah. And hearing hearing the one doctor say, you know, because I remember him saying clearly with Mina, you know, oh, the only thing you have to worry about is when she's 16 and she wants to jump out the window and go out late at night. That was that was something that's going to stay with me forever. <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, hearing that everything's fine and that's all you have to worry about. And so, you know, certain things like that were very, very difficult. Right. Going forward with my second pregnancy and um you know, yeah. but we got through and yeah. definitely post-traumatic stress, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. And, and the risk of having postpartum anxiety, obviously, mm-hmm. that was, that was you know, certain higher probably because of my previous loss. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was, it was not easy. Thank but you. We, we made it through. Uh, um, that brings to mind the story of when our daughter, Leah, at 16, I heard... Uh, we lived um, in a split level and uh, our bedroom was right above hers and one night I woke up to the sound of broken glass and here it was that she was (laughs) sneaking out (laughs) one night to be with her friends and uh, they busted the uh, uh, storm window on her on her her bedroom and uh, (laughs) It just yes, that's another one of the things that uh, yeah. uh, all parents, I guess, uh, have to live with that eventually. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. thank you for for reminding me of that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> and we all would go through that again if if we if we could. Yeah, I mean, that exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know and. And so when I look at my daughter now, I, you know, it's, it's challenging being a parent, right? Sleepless nights, mm-hmm. crying, teething, right? But, but I just laugh and I just give her a hug and a kiss. And I'm just so grateful for being a tired mom. <laughs> like I have no complaints. I just love it. It's perfect. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I feel yeah. so blessed to have her. And, you know, we lost our daughter in December and we gained another in another December a year later. Oh, so, um, you know, it was, it was a gift and, um, yeah. we're just so grateful to have CC and, you know, we had a lot of loss that year, you know, not only did we lose Mina, but my great uncle died from COVID. My grandfather died a few months later as well mm-hmm. from COVID and cancer. So there was a multiple losses for, mm-hmm. for our family. And so it was, it was very hard, but grateful for all of the support, um, that yeah. we had. Yeah, it definitely changes our, our perspective of, of a loss like that. And I'm wondering how it changed um, the, the work that you do in the world. 
Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I actually, I needed to take some time off after my loss because I, I felt that, you know, I, I can't be there for other people if I can't, you know, take care of myself. And in the moment I was, I was having a really hard time, you know, and I, I ended up going to grief support and that was very helpful. It was specific for people who struggled with pregnancy loss. So mm -hmm. it was, it was very helpful for me for a few months to be able to do that and not isolate. Um, but yeah, I took some time off. I actually resigned from my job and that was hard for me because I, I had put a lot into it and, um, you know, it wasn't something that I, wanted to do but I knew it was for the best I worked mm -hmm. with families and children who had significant trauma and I didn't want to go to work crying and being upset and bringing that on them and they knew I was pregnant and I just kind of like disappeared one day mm -hmm. because this is kind of how it happened right, right. it's just yeah. um so I took some time off and I I didn't work for a couple months I just kind of focused on myself and recovery and then finally decided to go back part-time private practice and so that's been wonderful and um you know i am uh, very grateful for that and yeah i mean my work i mean obviously i'm more aware of it now and i have no problems you know uh, working with all types of people and i'm able to you know i've worked with people who have struggled with similar issues at this point and mm. i i love being able to help other people and so it's just been you know just um one of those things where you know you've experienced it and my my experience is not the same as anyone else's but certainly it gives you a a different perspective than than it did if i had not had a loss like right. that um so i'm trying to look at it from a positive light right i mean yes this happened to me but i'm not going to let it you know just make me crumble and not be able to help other people who have faced similar issues right yeah exactly yeah we often talk about uh, the folks who when faced with a traumatic experience like that uh, get stuck uh, in a place of uh, not being able to uh, draw on their resiliency and um, make the decision that uh, what is holding them back is not serving them. Um, it's a difficult decision to, you know, to um, leave what you've lost uh, if you can ever really leave it, but to make the choice that for your own health and and well-being that um, something's got to change um, yeah. and it sounds like helping people to, to do that I know that doing the show helps us in uh, dealing with the loss of our daughter um, wanting to share stories like yours and and certainly that is one of the things that um uh, uh, we enjoy about um, our ability here to get this word out into our community because people just don't want to talk about things like this. And, and again, we're, we're grateful for, for you to be here. Yes. Yeah. And thank you. And thank I, I want to mention too, that in October, October 15th, um, there's something called national or pregnancy and infant Loss Remembrance Day, so October 15th of every year in the United States and Canada, it's observed. So that's mm. an important day for people. And that's, you know, any any type like stillbirth, miscarriage, right, just mm -hmm. pregnancy and infant loss. And so it's a day of awareness. And so I just want people to be aware of that. And, you know, when, when you have a loss like this, it, it, it's nice when people acknowledge it and, and your loss is acknowledged. And so for me, you know, while I don't have a birth certificate for me now, I do have a stillbirth certificate from the state and certain mm -hmm. states do that. Um, so just I want people to be aware of that. That is something that certain states will, you know, um, provide mm -hmm. um, if you want your, you know, information to be, you know, I think after 20 weeks, it's supposed to be it's 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 something that mm -hmm. is required in some states. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I, I do have that. And, um, you know, again, it's it's not the same as having my baby, but at least I know she's not going to be forgotten, right? She, right. she counted, she mattered. Exactly. Exactly. And we are quickly coming up to the top of the hour in the end of our, our show. And I, I think that's a very poignant 
to end it to let everyone know about October 15th and that um, it is possible to get a stillbirth certificate to um, honor, in your case, your daughter or um, your child. So before we start to wrap up our show, though, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Sure. So you can email me if, if you'd like to. I have an email that is a capinjola, C-A-P-I-N-J-O-L-A at gmail.com. Feel free to email me and reach out. I Again, I work private practice in the state of New Jersey. So, you know, I quick Google search. I'm there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amy Capinjola. Well, today, and, and again, I've this has been a difficult uh, subject for some people, I'm sure. Stillbirth and miscarriage is, as we have learned, a very common occurrence uh, without really any one particular uh, cause for it. It's something that brings us face to face with loss in a most horrendous uh, fashion. Uh, we struggle to to understand uh, that there are things that our medical professionals can do to help our uh, patients and uh, clients that experience this work through in in this difficult uh, time that your resiliency and ability to move forward in your life is something that you may need support uh, family and friends, and um, it's something that... It's okay to ask for help. Yeah, it's okay. For today's inspiration, um, I took, I have a quote from A. Peterson that I found on sayinggoodbye.org. I never got to hold you about you on my knee, on my lap. I never got to read to you or watch you as you nap. You slipped away quickly before I said your name, and I want the world to know I loved you just the same. Thank you, Amy, for sharing your story, sharing with us uh, feelings that uh, you've shared with us today. I don't know what else uh, I can say. I'm really at a loss for words. This has been very emotional for me. Thank you. Thank you, Dan and Nancy. I appreciate you having me. And I just, you know, I, I can't say enough about your show. I, I think it's great that you're doing this work and helping other people out there. So thank you again. You've been listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. Thank you for listening. Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.